Pop quiz. You ready for this? Okay. All right, so I'm going to give B. you five questions. B. B. I'm going to let you write them down on your paper silently, and then we're going to see how you do. Okay. Well, I just want everybody to get an opportunity to think about it and make a guess before someone just shouts out the right answer. Does that make sense? All right. Jane, sit back there, big block. Can you see that? Is it too low? God's rest because blank. Anybody need more time? If you miss more than one, remember, nursery duty Sunday. <laughs> well, I already got it, so now. Anybody need more time? Good. All right, number one, author of Hebrews. Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I got Jesus, unknown, or unknown, Holy Spirit. Maybe Apollo. Uh, author, writer, composer of Hebrews. Is that unknown? He didn't say. So I will take all three of those answers. Jesus. <laughs> Unknown or Holy Well, it Spirit. says right here. Hebrews does not begin by identifying its author and recipients. Well, okay, technically it doesn't identify the recipients, but that's obvious. It, yeah, Which is the next question. Audience of Hebrews is? Christian Jews. Christian Jews. Christian Jews. All right, remember that shorthand? 
Christian Jews. Very good. Really, the answer here would be question mark. But I'll take that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's true. You better take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, first argument of Hebrews. Jesus is better than... Moses. Angels. 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 Okay. Well, I wrote down angels. I just I said Moses. Angles or angels? Which one? I wrote down angels. angels. Okay. I think I got it right that time. All right. Who's doing? Anybody 100%? No, I missed one. Well, no, actually, I did. Because okay. you said, right. because I said there was no author. No, no author would count. Yeah, yeah. okay. Unknown, no author, okay. well, don't I'm know. Okay, I'm good then. If you put maybe in a name, I'll even take that. Maybe Paul, maybe Apollos. I would. I'd take I think both. I'm going to miss the fifth. Right, number four. Blake Moses. was faithful over God's house as a servant. Moses. Moses. Very good. And then number five. This was last week. Many Hebrews did not enter God's rest because unbelief, unbelief, unfaithfulness. Okay, because I tried. The they was, I, I was saying they was trying to save themselves. Unbelief. I would have take, taken disobedience as well, or even if you named the specific disobedience that they did. Um, well, then I missed it because you won't take mine. What was yours? I said because they was trying to, too busy trying to save themselves. You okay. did say that. Like nursery were, duty. I have nursery duty anyway. I know. That's why it's no big but deal. But you did say that. I mean, if it was a quiz in college, and I I'll let you write it. down an explanation of your answer, I might would take it. Yeah, okay. So I missed that one. There's no grace on pop quizzes. Just no grace on pop quizzes. There's also no grace in athletic schools who play soccer. There's no grace in soccer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> So uh, I think I've told no, this story. I on my Bible. Uh, Romans professor, the first test, I mean, he just killed us. It was so much harder than we could ever expect. And I'm like, I mean, I almost four-pointed my college degree, so I was that, that student, you know. He graded on a curve, and so a lot of times people hated me because I'd make 100, the next grade would be 80. And so it would be <laughs> a, you know, it would, it would just blow the curve. Well, he made this test so hard that, I mean, even the nerd in the room is like, I don't know what's to happen, <laughs> you know. And I think I made a 65 on the, the quiz, the, like full, this is the quarter of the grade wow. for the class. He hands out the papers and lets us all just, you know, mull over how bad our grade. I was the second highest grade. There was an 80 in the room that day. And uh, so he, he was the only person technically that passed. And then the professor said, I just wanted you to know what grace was. Like wrote out 100 for everybody. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and oddly enough, there was one person in the room who was disappointed with that. The 80. The 80. I was like, yep, the Pharisee. We all know who it is. <laughs> the Pharisee detection system. There. <laughs> it's a Pharisee detection program. I like that. A, I'm going to use that one day. Excellent. Okay. So grab your Bible. So who made 100? Anybody, anybody completely 100? Oh, Ted. Three? Well, we know Gene didn't. Three? Okay. The first what, argument that got me, I put most. Okay, yeah, it's too, yeah, because yeah. technically, no, technically it doesn't transition to Moses until well into chapter two. Right. Actually, it might even be three. Tell y'all, y'all, say y'all, y'all. Three, yeah. Look at me. Um, so, because we started saying Moses before it was Moses. Right. Because the next step in the argument is Jesus is better than the testament that the angels gave. Well, who'd they give it to? It was Moses. Right. And so... 
he, he, he's working towards Moses the whole time. Yeah, that's actually chapter 3 before it's explicitly Moses that he's talking about. All right, so remember, as we dive into Hebrews, uh, we need to remember the context, especially in the main heart of the book. So we're dealing with, right now, the question of what happens if you apostatize. Anybody want to give me a quick definition of apostasy? Apostatize. Literally to fall off, right? To, to jump off the cliff. Um, and the cliff then would represent what? Getting away from Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to be a little less precise than say the faith. So it's getting, it's falling from the faith. The faith is a common New Testament expression to refer to the system of belief that saves us. We could call it our soteriology. Um, we could just call it our theology. The whole system. That's our confession of faith. All right. So the context then that all of these people are dealing with apostasy is very specific. This isn't just apostasy in the sense of, well, I fell into a particular sin, so I was walking along fine, then I got caught up with drugs, then I got caught up with this. That's not really what's in view here. Or I got caught up with some idolatry of some kind. It's a super precise type of apostasy that these Christian Jews are being tempted to do. What is that specific sin they're all being tempted to commit? Renounce Christ in favor of Moses. in favor of Moses. In fa- so that's basically the way the author is going to stage the question. You either get Jesus, or you're falling back on Moses, and then it's going to be a trick question because Moses was actually on Team Jesus, and if you join Team Moses, you're you're lost. Doesn't work out for you. Well, I know we're not really there, but in Galatians it was different because there they were trying to they weren't trying to get us to walk away from the faith just. Yes, so so Galatians is a it's a similar animal, but it is a distinct situation because you've got Christian Jews versus pseudo Christian Jews, and so these we call them Judaizers. The Bible doesn't use that expression, but that's what we historically have called that group. What they're trying to do is make Christianity and old school Pharisaical Judaism the same thing, and so to be a true Christian, they literally want to follow Christ. But to be a true Christian, you got to be a good Pharisee, which means ultra-literal interpretation of the law, uh, complete observance of all the, even ceremonial, civil, everything, the whole package of the Old Testament, you've got to do directly as a Jew, and so really circumcision, those sorts of things. The scenario in Hebrews, one group has Jesus, one group specifically denies Jesus. So Paul would say the Judaizers preach a false gospel, whereas the Jews in this case don't preach a gospel of Jesus at all. Just just know Jesus. So one way to think about it is what the author of Hebrews is going to try to show us. And it's, it's going to get complicated. Um, and we're going to have to kind of work through the weeds. And, and it's like we've got ingredients. We've got to put them together and mix it and, and bake our cake. Um, but what he's going to try to show us is that Judaism without Jesus did not exist in the Old Testament. Judaism without Jesus did not come into existence until, to use Paul's analogy in Romans, the olive branch was cut off from the tree and the Gentiles were grafted in. So Judaism without Jesus is that branch that got cut off. You follow what I'm saying? That's the Bible's definition of Judaism without Jesus. Old Testament is Judaism 
with Jesus on his way. Very different system of thought than what the Pharisees and what these particular Jews are trying to sell now to these Christian Jews in this context. All right, y'all with me so far? Okay, so we're going to pick up, actually, the first several blanks of review. So let's do the review first. So this is based on, we started in chapter 3 with this new argument. And the comparison is you've got Moses is faithful over the house. Um, Moses faithful as a servant. And does he get glory in that role? Yeah. Yes, glory. A lot of glory. Uh, is he faithful in that role? Yes. Yes, he's still considered faithful. He didn't produce a lot of fruit, though. What happened to the people in the house when Moses was leading the house? Disobeyed. And then did not explicitly, what did they not get to do? Enter the rest. rest. And here, rest, in the literal Old Testament, rest was rest from what? Work. From, from the wilderness. Rest from wandering, and then rest from conquest. And they would get to rest and the land. The author of Hebrews is using it more spiritual. So what does he mean when he says rest and talks about the promised land? This is heaven. This is our final destination. This is ultimately, he's going to even make it explicitly in chapter 11, the resurrection. So our rest is the resurrection. Um, And it's amazing. You can read Hebrews, and if you're not paying attention, you'll miss the resurrection. But it's one of the main ideas of the book. It's the climax. It just He doesn't use that word resurrection a lot. He uses other terms to refer to it. So that's Moses. Now he's basically using negative examples to compare Moses to Christ. So, so far he's not really explicitly saying what Jesus does different. He's just saying, this is what Moses did poorly, but Jesus is better. We'll have to get much deeper into the book before he explicitly says what some of those better things are, but he's not faithful as a servant. He's faithful as a heir. Exactly. Or we can take son. And then, does he get glory and is he faithful? Absolutely. Right? Explicitly, at the beginning of chapter 3, this is a greater glory. Greater glory than who? The, well, angels was first, but now way greater glory than Moses. Now, if you're a Hebrew, how big a deal is Moses? He's the man. I mean, he's literally, he is the prophet. And then, like, the, the almost Moses is Elijah. And then, it's like, I don't even know if there's a third. There's like a hundred blanks, and then you get other prophets, maybe Isaiah or Daniel. Um, but Moses and Elijah, Moses in particular, greater glory, so much more glory. It's like the house, or the builder of the house, gets more glory than the house itself. Why would the builder get more glory? He's a creator. He's responsible. He's the reason any of this good stuff exists. That's the level we're going to put Jesus on. Now, it has not been explicit so far. Right? But if we follow the comparison, what is this one going to have to be? <laughs> this one's going to be they do obey. <laughs> That's what's going to have to be. And they did not get rest. But what's this one going to have to be? Rest. They do enter. They do enter. So technically, just to to be fair, this has not been explicit yet. It's going to get more explicit as we go. But he set up the comparison in chapter 3, and it's going to take him until chapter 10 to give that final 
Well, if Moses did anything, how much more is this going to produce results? That's where this is going. That's going to be the final, uh, the climax of his argument in chapter 10. And we got a lot of ground to cover to get there. So let's... I got a question. Yeah. What, is, what is A.S.? As. Moses as servant. Okay. Jesus as heir. All right. Now, when you answered these okay. questions, right? Uh, yeah, but I hadn't technically filled in the blanks. Okay. So That's what Israel received the good news. That's going to be Moses' or Hebrews' um, lingo for the covenant. So the Ten Commandments, he would lump all that in that. So Israel received the good news of rest. So think about that. If they obeyed the law, what was the commandment promising? Literal blessing. That was the commandment in the Old Testament. Literal blessing. So Israel received that good news. That would be what Moses gave them. But not all Israel believed, and he equates belief with obey. That was how chapter 3 ended. Disobedience and disbelief were synonyms. And then those who did not believe did not get to enter the rest of God. And then you should know the last one. Moses was faithful over God's house as a servant. Yeah, so if y'all look down at the blanks, y'all should have got the last one. Because it was technically Okay, on the paper. I didn't get the first one because I was too You were paying attention. Yes, I was. I was writing the lingo. Right, so, so you don't have... The very Israel one. received good news of rest. Okay. Rest. Well, see, I was writing what you was explaining. I was writing okay. the, the long explanation. So, as we dive into this, let's remember what the argument has been. He quoted an Old Testament psalm, and he's going to requote that psalm like a dozen times over these two chapters. He already did, quoted it at least three, or, or one in full, and then another small time. He's going to quote it three more times, the same psalm. And what we reference today. Do you remember anything about that psalm? It's Psalm. If you use that cross reference, you can see it. it. Okay, so for me, verses 7 through 11, that is a literal quotation of the second half of Psalm 95. All right, it's considered a psalm of David. So this is important. He ended that psalm by saying, They shall not enter my rest. The psalmist, however, is saying, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So when the psalm is written, is the rebellion imminent or is it past? past. It's past. It's centuries past, actually. So the, the rebellion, David is probably the writer of the psalm, and the Hebrews, I think, says David. Yeah, later down in verse 7. So David wrote the psalm. Later than the obedience, he's using the psalm, he's using the story of disobedience as an encouragement to his people during his reign. So that's going to be significant as we dive in. So let's let's dive in. Verse four, or sorry, chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, what does he mean the promise of entering the rest still stands? What rest? Eternal rest, ultimately resurrection. That promise still stands, meaning has it happened yet? It has not happened yet. So what potential thing do we want to happen while we're still waiting for the rest to come? What would you hope you do in your life before the rest gets here? Think evangelism. (laughs) First of all, you want to believe in Jesus. Right? Because if you do, what does that do for you? 
You're in. That's how you get in. So there's an opportunity here. Opportunity is a key word for Hebrews. So therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, he could word that, and remember Hebrews is implicit. In an explicit language, we could say, you've probably heard an evangelist say this, you've got this moment right now. You have an opportunity to follow Christ right now. What are you going to do with it? That's what he's doing here. Now, who's he talking to when he says this? Christian Jews. So hopefully then, what have they already done? They've already repented and come to faith in the gospel. That's the whole point of the book. They're being tempted to go back. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So what's he want to not happen? He doesn't want Apostasy. To, yeah. Yeah. So the falling away. He does not want you to be walking this path and then leave. Let's, let's walk in fear. We know that that's possible. People do that. Have you ever seen someone seemingly walking the faith who gets off? We see it. I've seen it myself numerous times. And so where we're going to end up theologically, and we're laying some of the groundwork for that tonight, I'm not going to completely sell the argument tonight. I'm going to lay some foundation stones that are going to make the argument make sense later. We would say, I would teach, and I would say Hebrews enforces this idea, the idea of perseverance of the saints. Let's unpack that expression for just a moment. Have you heard that expression before? Tulip. Tulip. Okay, it's in tulip. It's the P. Um, in Baptist churches, that's not usually how the expression is said. What's what's the Baptist version? Right, once saved. Saved. Always saved. Always saved. Always saved. All right, there's a reason I don't like that particular question or statement. It's not that the statement's wrong. It's just it can be misinterpreted. And not that it is wrong. It's just people read it wrong regularly. So I'd rather use perseverance of the saints. But the reason is because once you get saved, and most people mean what when they say that? They're, what, They're well, giving their life to Christ. If someone's more theologically precise, they might say once genuinely saved. Right. But uh, we recognize that that's not how the lingo usually gets used. Well, when someone's saved, what do we mean they've done? Called on they, the they've, they've done something. Right. They jumped through a hoop. They prayed a prayer. They signed a card. They got dunked. They went up front on an altar call. They did something. And as long as you do that something, nothing can happen to that something. That's how it was taught to me as a kid. Like you get the ticket. I mean, really, you could get the ticket and then do anything you wanted to in your life. Mm-mm. And you're still fine on the other side. That's not the meaning of the expression. That's why I prefer the other expression. Perseverance of the saints. Right, who are the saints in this context? The what? Is a believer? Saint. I don't know. I don't know what I was writing. Say it, Brian. Okay. That's better. Perseverance of the saints. There we go. All right, perseverance. All right, so the saints is believers. This is anyone who we would say is once, and I have to throw that in there, genuinely saved. Those saints will do what? Persevere. It's a big difference in the doctrine. We're not saying that as long as you buy the ticket, no matter what happens, you're good on the other end. It's a very different statement. What's this statement saying you're going to do along your path? You're going to stay on the path. That's our teaching. So therefore, 
We would say if you get off the path, what, what would we say? What would that mean? Backslide. We call it a backslide. But if you like, I don't mean you just committed a sin yesterday. I'm talking, I'm out of this faith. I don't want to do this now. And you weren't actually saying. That's exactly what we would say. We would say saints persevere. Therefore, if you do not persevere, you're not a saint. This is the exact argument of 1 John chapter uh, 2, about verse 17 through 20. It says, they went out from us, and he's literally talking about apostasy here. They went out from us because they were not of us. That is the reason. That's the whole point of of, of that chapter of John, is that if God is in you, if the seed of God is in you, you cannot continue in sin because the seed remains in you. That's John, 1 John 3, 9. It's not possible because you persevere. You are going to persevere if you are his. There's a song. I know not everybody likes Andrew Peterson. Anybody ever caught the Andrew Peterson bug? I talk about his music all the time, and everyone who listens to it, it's like, eh. I'm just telling you guys. You listen to these words. There's some good stuff. He's got a song that he wrote to his... I guess 12-year-old son, he's kind of coming of age sort of song, and he's talking about, you know, you'll find your way, last yourself to the ancient mast, you know, follow the ancient road. You know, trying to stay grounded in Scripture, and, and you're going you're gonna to work out. You know, you're going to have these bad times, but you can stay, stay grounded. And one of his expressions is lay hold to the one that's laying hold of you. And it's like, oh, man, that's exactly how it's worded. He's laying hold of us. That's why we persevere. That's why Moses is not as good as Jesus. Actually, that's a precursor. I'm not going to completely sell the argument of where we're at tonight. I'm going to lay a foundation for that. So let's keep going. So while this, you have this opportunity, stay on the path. For good news came to us, just us to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. All right, so he's making a comparison. Those Hebrews, they received the good news from Jesus. Is receiving the good news from Jesus a guarantee that you make it to the other side? No. No. What's the word that he said was made at the guarantee? Key word begins with that. Faith. Faith. The reason they did not persevere is they were not united, and there's some weird translations here. Everybody's probably got a little bit different one. The idea is the one listening has to be united to the message through faith. And if you are, you see his logic here, if you're united to the message with faith, what are you going to do? You're going to persevere. If you don't persevere, well, didn't they persevere? He would say it's because they were not united in faith with the message. That's his explanation for why they fell. That's going to set us up. Verse 3, For we who have believed... Enter that rest. Now think about the wording of that expression. We who have believed enter that rest. You just drew a line in the sand. What's the difference between him and the Israelites we're talking about in the Old Testament? Everybody makes it. Everyone who... Yeah. For we who have believed. Have believed. That's how he defines a Christian. The one who has believed enters the rest. Now, you can hear the message. You could like the message. You could walk around in the message. You could, like, really enjoy the message. We're going to do that in chapter 6. But if the message is not united with faith in you, 
There's no going to the promised land. Obe- okay. Yes, but I have to give like a, an asterisk when I say that. Because you can totally believe. All right, let me use David as an example. The author of Hebrews is definitely using belief and obedience almost synonymously. That to believe is to obey. And, and honestly, that's, that's very realistic. If you believe in God in the right way and he tells you to do something, proof that you believe in him would be that you did what? You would obey. All right, so if you didn't obey, we'd say, huh, well, you must not be one of his because you're not surrendering your life to him. So there's a simple, like, yeah, it's black and white. If you have faith, you obey. If you don't have faith, you disobey. But we have to think about um, David as an illustration of this point. How does the Old Testament view David, positively or negatively? Positive. Overwhelmingly positively. He gets near perfect lingo in his marks. Oh, they weren't like David, the awesome king. Oh, David was such a good king. David, a man after God's own heart. You said this is the New Testament? No, this is the Old Testament talking about David. But if you talk about David in that way, what are you overlooking? Gross. (laughs) Some gross sins. He didn't just sleep with a woman. That's bad enough. He had her husband killed. He had her husband. But think about it. And her husband wasn't just a dude. It's one of his mighty men. And he didn't just have... Uriah the Hittite murdered, he sent a whole section of the army into a place where everyone would die to guarantee the one guy would die. So David killed a bunch of people, a bunch of his faithful warriors just to cover up the sexual sin. He did repent. That's key. But what did he repent to? To To God. David never committed idolatry, not in the formal sense. David always honored the Lord. So in one way, we could say David never broke faith, but he did disobey. And so there's a tension there. But when he was called out, his response was very telling. Nathan comes to him, gives him that story about this guy had a lot of sheep, and then he stole the sheep from his neighbor. you know. And then Nathan's like, that man should die. And if you remember, Nathan's like, you're the man. You're the man. I'm talking about you. And, of course, David realizes in that moment that Nathan is correct, and he should die. He repents before the Lord. He has this full repentance before the Lord. Why did David repent before the Lord? Because he had faith in Yahweh. If he had not had faith in Yahweh, what would his response to Nathan's accusation have been? Kill him. Yeah, just let me, I just moved David, I moved Nathan out of the way too. That was keep Nathan's going down argument the path. to God. Right? Yeah. Hey, God, he yeah. hey, somebody. He's, he's been killing people to cover this up, and you want me to go talk to him about it? Yeah. <laughs> but David's a true believer, and he cannot stay on the false path. It's literally not possible because the saints persevere. If David had not repented in that moment, we would boldly say we'd have a very different story of our Bible, and it would be the story of this unfaithful king who God destroyed but because he repented, he, tr- he proved faithfulness to Yahweh. So, yes, faith and obedience are the same thing. But even though we have faith, we can still disobey. So it, it's just it depends on how you respond in the in the correction. So actually, that's going to set us up really well for chapter six. It's going to lead there. Or where did we leave off? I, I lost my. That was a good question. I lost my thought. Um, did we read? So we haven't actually quoted the scripture yet. Is that what we did? Verse 3. All right, so we who have believed enter that rest. 
as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Again, he's quoting the end of that psalm. And think about it, that's literally the end of the psalm. It's like, it's let everyone praise the Lord, make a rebellion, and God said he's going to destroy them, and they're not going to get their wrath. Amen. And I was like, what was it in that way? They're not going to enter my rest. What, what, what's that tell us about the psalm? It's a cautionary psalm. There's a, there's a call there. Hey, where are you at? So what's happening with the psalm? Same thing that's happening with David. Hey, you're all being tempted to walk off here. Which one are you? Are you the saint who perseveres? Or are you the unbeliever who dies in the wilderness? I don't actually know which one you are. I can make a good guess. We're called to be fruit bearers. And I can look at your fruit and make a pretty good guess. And I can make a pretty good guess about whether or not someone's going to repent when they get called out. I could be wrong, though. Because what's going to tell me is which one they choose. This is the, in fact, this is the point of church discipline. What do you want someone to do who's disciplined by the church? What's the goal? Repent. Repent. Reconciliation. Right. And if they do not repent, then we, that, the word is we excommunicate them, which means we've removed from them our affirmation that they're true believers. Because your disobedience, after being called out, indicates to us that you're not like David, that you're not a true saint, because you would persevere and you would repent if you were. You ever been called out for sin? What happens? I mean, you feel bad, you feel guilty, but if you're a true believer, what comes next? You repent. You repent. You do. It's The Holy Spirit is going to persevere or make you persevere in this way. Let's just finish the chapter and you'll see him make the beginning parts of that argument. So although his works, this is God's works, were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. Somewhere. Remember, the author of Hebrews loves speaking implicitly. That'd be like me getting up somewhere in the Bible. There's a story. <laughs> I don't think y'all would buy it, but uh, where is this story? Somewhere in the Bible, it spoke about God this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. This is the very beginning. This is a creation story. And again, in this passage, so he quotes Genesis. Now he comes back to the psalm. They shall not enter my rest. He said that three times so far. I shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience. Last time he said it was because of faith. This time he said because of disobedience. He's using the words almost synonymously. Oh, I lost the spot. All right, verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today. Well, what's the certain day? This is literally today. This is the moment David got called out. This is the moment your sin is exposed. This is the moment you come to your senses. This is the moment the prodigal son realizes what's at home. Today. God has appointed this day. As long as it's called today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So he's talking to people who hopefully are believers, but we don't actually know unless they respond to this today with what? Obedience. Obedience. Repentance. Repentance. Faith. That's the question. So verse 8. Interesting side note. What translations do we have in the room? 
Do you have a KJV? No. No KJVs? Okay. Got an NLT. None? None? Not a single Mine's one? At home. Nobody has a real Bible? Right. <laughs> I got a new one. Oh, my goodness. James. That might be the closest. Okay, the so interesting translation thing going on in verse 8. Now, let's get nerdy. Side note, aside, excursus, whatever you want to call it. Um, the Old Testament name, Joshua. Who has Joshua in verse 8? I do. Everybody have Joshua? Anybody have another name? Okay. So in Greek, this says Isus. That is the Greek name, Joshua. The Greek name for Jesus is Isus. Did you hear the difference? No, because there wasn't one. Okay. So Jesus' name is literally the Greek word for Joshua. Joshua is what language? Hebrew. That's Hebrew. We take that Hebrew name, we write it in Greek, it would be Jesus. So, um, some translations struggle here because literally it says, if Jesus had not given them rest. Okay, so I will tell you, dogmatically, that would be a false translation. How do we know it's Joshua he's talking about? First, who is Joshua in the Old Testament? He's the successor to Moses. Successor, and what did he do with the people? He took them to the. He literally led them into the promised land and did what? He gave them rest. He gave them rest, a kind of rest. Right. Kind. Yeah, you've read the book. You know, it's a kind of rest. They they partially partially. I love how that book. He's like, you know, serve the gods of Egypt or serve the gods of the Canaanites. Me and my house, we're gonna serve Yahweh. It's like you can see he's just done. He's so sick of those people. I'm losing my voice tonight. This is, uh, this is fun. Yeah. You so, get a little taste of what Moses does. Yeah, this was Moses in the wilderness. Okay, wow, where would we go? So if Joshua had given them rest, um, I think I'm all right at the moment. So I, got, I ate some Mexican food yesterday, and I've been very sick since I did, and I hadn't been able to hold anything in, and so I didn't eat anything today, and I'm worried if I drink too much, I'll right. end, end uh, the study a little to, soon. Start, so, um, <laughs> that's, that's what I'm getting at. Soon. Oh, well, it would also be soupy, um, but we won't go there. Okay. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. Now, when did the psalm take place? After Joshua. So there's still a rest. It's not a literal rest. It's not literally the land. There's something later. Further on, that's the resurrection. That will explicitly be the resurrection by chapter 11. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Heaven analogy, clearly. Verse 11, therefore, let us strive to enter that rest. Does he want you to do something? Yeah. Yes. When we say the saints persevere, that idea is not passive. You know what we're saying? What do we we mean? You actually do something here. We're saying the saints will keep the faith. That's what he's telling us to do. Therefore, because we've got the Sabbath rest in front of us, and because it's today, and because we're tempted to fall away, let's not do that. Instead, let's strive to enter the rest so that no one may fall, no one may apostatize by the same sort of disobedience. Same being a reference to what? What the Hebrews did. What happened with Moses? Referencing the Old Testament, referencing Scripture. Therefore, verse 12, the word of God. Have you ever heard this verse before? Oh, many times. 
yeah. This is one of those you might have memorized. If you grew up in church, you memorized this Bible drill at some point. But you, you probably didn't know the context. All right, so for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the division of soul and joint, our spirit, soul and spirit and joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What word of God specifically is he talking about? Well, we would apply it to the whole scripture, sure. But technically, he means something more specific. I mean, the law? The law? Technically, the story of Moses. But it would be true of the whole scripture, so don't hear me say anything other than that. But technically, he's saying this story, we've read about Moses, we've talked about Moses, we've read about David quoting Moses, we've read about Joshua. This scripture, this word of God, this revelation from God, what does it do to us today? All right, it gives us a map. It reminds us to go for the rest. But what's it doing in here? It convicts. Why does it need to convict? Why does it need to lay you bare? Why does it need to be sharper than a two-edged sword and pierce down the soul and spirit? Why does it need to do that? Because if we don't have this word, we don't have the power of the gospel, the word of God in us, we're not going to stay the course. You hear this? Let us strive to enter that rest. How do we strive to enter that rest? The way God perseveres the saints, one of them, we're going to go with several, one of the ways God perseveres the saints is literally through the word of God. So, if you're a Christian and you don't read your Bible, what might happen? We might find out you weren't one. And if you want to make sure you are one, now works my salvation, it's a different concept. But if you want to strive to enter that rest, what should you do? Let it, let it do the work. God's word literally does a work in us. This is how God perseveres us. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked. I said it again. All are n- naked. I can't even do that, guys. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. All right, let's fill in some blanks. Hearing the message of salvation is not enough. I think we already implicitly know that, but it's good to say it out loud. You can grow up in the church and know the stories. You can hear the gospel. You can hear the gospel so much you quit paying attention. Hearing the message is not enough. We must have faith in the message of salvation. Those who have faith, faith is twice, Enter God's rest. Did you see that in the passage? Those who enter are the ones who have faith. The rest of God is future. The rest of God is future. Future. Really, we're saying heaven, the resurrection. We're striving towards a future thing. So we're dealing with the variables between where we are today and entering that rest. The path of perseverance is not passive. That's what we just said that. You actually work. You actually do stuff along this path. It's God working, but it's you working too. It's God working in you. Remember, 
whatever the next one is. <laughs> our labor, not passive, and then our labor towards the coming rest is part of how God keeps us in the faith. And then the last verse we read is where we get this one. The word of God has power to I was going to go with transform. Transform our hearts and maintain our faith. It's one of the things. We're going to have a lot of things. That's one of them. All right. It's uh, like one after. We did pretty good. Any questions? I'm looking forward to chapter six, guys. We're going to have a good conversation. It's going to be fine. So next week's going to be chapter five? Or I don't know. 13? Well, we... We're, we're, we just hit almost the end of four. We'll start and well, we'll finish four and get into five for sure. Okay. No, we probably wouldn't go any further than five ten. Okay. Yeah, because we're gonna have to talk about Melchizedek. Oh yeah. And the night will be over. There will be no room for anything. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll do like Gene and skip ahead and cheat. You can cheat, and then. Then we'll you actually come back. are expected to read the book. We do want to, yeah. Actually, read the If you skip ahead, I will encourage you. Please. See, that, that's what that's what uh, Gene acts like. He's a teacher's pitch. Yeah, Gene is that 4.0 student. I think Gene read the book Ted. and saw the movie. I think Ted got a, got a perfect on the score because he was sitting by Gene. All right, guys. Well, it's after, so I'm going to pray for us, and we will be dismissed. Thank you for coming. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Hebrews and the depth of meaning that is here. And I pray that it would encourage us, that it would stir us up to love and good deeds, that it would provoke us in the direction of faithfulness, that it would be the tool you preserve us with. And I pray that you would help us to be faithful as we see your power and we see your glory unfold in our lives. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right, I got a question.